And there you are. Shabbat Shalom. Shabbat Shalom to you all. You all greetings to the 12 tribes scattered abroad. We're here again. Missed you last week. Today, the 35th day of the Omer count. We are counting, of course, from barley to wheat, transforming our lives, hopefully, from that animal carnal nature to the spirit-filled man. I know that I'm being changed and developed, and I pray you are too. Let's dig into the 18th chapter of Maaseh Shlechim, the Acts of the Apostles, or better, the Acts of the Holy Spirit, here in Acts chapter 18. Now today, I'm going to try, I very much doubt I'm going to be able to do it, but I'm going to try and get six points on you today on this 18th chapter. I definitely um, feel that I'm going to be able to hit the first four. I might not be able to get the last two. Let's see how we do because there's so much to uncover in this 18th chapter. Greet one another in the chat. Edify one another. And of course, you can always connect with us six days a week at TorahToTheTries.com forward slash connect on all of our online platforms. And I'm thankful so many of you are taking part in that and making those connections worldwide. It's truly, truly amazing. Okay, we're going to dive in. Chapter 18 and the first verse. And let's see if I can pull these six points out. I'll definitely go for four today, maybe if I can keep it together and not get distracted into the apocalyptic that I always seem to do in this crazy world in which we live. Number one, we're going to be looking at Priscilla and Aquilas. Number two, power tends to corrupt and absolute power corrupts absolutely. Now, I may spend quite a bit of time on that one, see, and that's the problem, isn't it? Number three, repentance brings forth our remedy. Repentance brings forth our remedy. Number four, I may spend a bit of time on this one too. Yahweh turned clay into men. But these wicked despots all around us are turning men into clay. It's Daniel's fourth kingdom, but Yahweh is bringing forth his kingdom. Now, if I can get through those first four, we'll see if we can hit point number five. Living contrary to the law. Which law? The law of sin and death, the book of the law. Um, which law? Paul talks about 19 points of law. Which law? And number six, I doubt I'm going to get this far. The Nazarite vow. Why does Paul end a Nazarite vow? What's going on? I thought we were in the book of the covenant. Isn't that under the book of the law? So much to unpack and so little time together. Oh my goodness, the first verse says thus. And after these things, Shaul departed from Athens and came to Corinth. And he found a certain Jew named Aquilus, born in Pontus. Now, Aquilus, I believe, possibly, probably, 
highly probably was the writer of the book of Hebrews. You'd have to review my book of Hebrews teaching to see that. Many say, Paul, I don't believe it. Let's continue. He was born in Pontus, who had recently come from Italy, and his wife Priscilla, because Claudius had commanded all the Jews to depart from Rome, and they came to them. And because he was of the same trade, he stayed with them, and they worked together, for by their occupation they were makers of the prayer shawl. Let's look at the first point, Priscilla and Aquilus. Like I said, I believe that Aquilus was most probably, highly probable, the writer of the book of Hebrews. It's not definitive. We don't know. We are just looking at the evidence. If you want to find out more about that, then check out the teaching on the book of Hebrews. It's helped many people understand the dichotomy between the book of the law and the book of the covenant. But let's look at Priscilla, because this ministry oftentimes gets criticized when people go to torahtothetribes.com forward slash connect and connect on many of the Zoom platforms and see that behind the scenes there are so many women that are helping and are anointed and appointed by Yahuwah in the service of him. And I love to see that. And I love that. Whether it's wives supporting their husbands, wives, mothers, leading the children, women in ministry, teaching prophecy. It's so wonderful to see. This is the Priscilla ministry. But we've got to get rid of that male chauvinism from the funky monks. And that's hard for so many men. So many men have brought, been brought up in this misogynistic world. And when they see that women are teaching, they're like, whoa. And they go back to these funky monk verses. And it causes much consternation. And I'd like to clear that up. Because right here with Priscilla, we have devout, spirit-filled women. And they have a role within the assembly. And men sometimes just need to get over the culture that they have been programmed with within the traditional realms of Christianity. Let's meet this wonderful Priscilla. And of course, I'm going to give you some scriptures that support and show you the role of women in scripture. Corinthia, 1 Corinthians um, chapter 14, verse 34. This is the mis misogynistic text um, that many would love to go to. Let your woman, women, let your women keep silent in the church. Sit down and shut up, woman. Is that what it says? That's what many monkeys, funky monks, back in the days would have you lead you to believe, which then spilled over into Protestantism and has spilled over into society, religious, Christian, Christianity as a whole. Let your women keep silent in the church, for it is not permitted for them to speak, but they are commanded to be under obedience, as also says the Torah. Where does it say that in the Torah? Show me the chapter and verse, because last time I checked... 
Miriam was a prophetess. Deborah was a judge. Women throughout the Torah in leadership, powerful roles. So, so what's going on here? There's got to be a problem in translation, surely. Because when I read the Torah, I do not find what it says right here, allegedly in the text. You see, translators assume women in the text is a singular class noun relating to all women. But the text doesn't say that. The text doesn't say that whatsoever. It just as well could mean that there is a particular woman that is causing trouble. Have you ever been in an assembly where there is a particular loudmouth individual, could be male or female, that causes trouble, that interrupts. Maybe not in the traditional church, but let me tell you, in the messy, messianic movement that I was in for so many years, they would do what was called the Midrash, which was Hebrew code for interrupt the teacher while he's speaking constantly and bicker and argue about everything. And there were always one or two particular individuals that would constantly, incessantly have to give their opinion. And you'd never get through the Blumentora reading. Now, in my experience, oftentimes, it was women. Why? Because they had been so kept down and so oppressed in the traditional Christian church, that finally they were coming into the Hebraic movement and feeling that they could actually have a voice for the first time. And I don't begrudge that, but there is to be order and decency, otherwise we're never going to get anywhere. What we have right here in 1 Corinthians is there was a particular woman that was causing an issue, that was incessantly interrupting and Rav Shaliak Shaul is addressing the woman. You see, because we know from the Torah, then we know from the prophets, and then we know from the writings, and then we know from the example of the women that were with Yahushua, that women are expected to be involved in the community of faith and worship, that they are expected to take an active role. And a very powerful role at that. In fact, let me give you an example. Phoebe, she was a deaconess, it says in the Greek. A deacon. Phoebe was a deaconess. Now this role, it doesn't appear to be held at all by any males. This is a role for women. Oh never heard of that before. How many female deacons have you met over the years? It was always the men, right? The deacons. Now you see, later on in the book of Romans, Priscilla is mentioned before her husband, Aquilus. And she's a fellow worker. Look at Romans 16, verse 1. I commend you to Phoebe, our Israelite sister, who is a deaconess of the congregation that is at Crenchier, that you receive her in Yahuwah as becomes the Israelite saints, and that you assist her in whatever business she has need of. 
for she has been a great help to many and to myself also. I can't tell you in ministry the support that I have had, not only from my wife and my daughters, but from so many women out there, and you know who you are watching, that I have relationships with in prayer, in communication, women who have powerful ministries prophetically, in teaching, in prayer, and that so many people miss out on the opportunity of the sensitivity and the support is a terrible thing. We need to look at the whole body of Messiah. That there is neither male or female, slave or free. We are all one in Yahushua. We have different roles and functions. But the ministry is open to all. Because look, just as Paul had received great help, greet Priscilla and Aquilus, my fellow laborers in Messiah Yahushua. Aren't we all supposed to be laboring together? We are all supposed to be co-laboring together. Who have for my life laid down their own necks, for whom not only I give thanks, but also the congregations of the Israelite nations. Likewise, greet the congregation that is in their house. Greet my well-beloved Aphantios, who is, of course, the first fruits of Achaia, to the Messiah. Greet Miriam, who worked very hard for us. Greet Andronikos and Junia. The proper translation is Junius, hmm, or Junia. Look at the King Jimmy. What does it say? My relatives and my fellow prisoners who are outstanding among the apostles. It's actually Ionia translated as junior this is a woman the king jimmy translates it as junius a man but this is a woman and junior or in the greek ionia what is she ionia is outstanding among the apostles how many times have you been taught that there was an outstanding woman among the apostles meaning she was an apostle. Why isn't this taught? Because of centuries and centuries of the mis misogynistic, that's a big word for me right there, I got it right the first couple of times, misogynistic worldview that, of course, came from the Dark Ages. We have to get over that, because if we don't, we're going to miss out on ministry. And I can tell you firsthand the blessings that I have had in my life from co-laboring with women in ministry has been amazing. Amazing. In prayer, in sensitivity, where I just admit would miss so much, would miss so much because I'm headstrong and maybe I do not take heed to things where, where, where I could listen to that sensitivity. That doesn't mean all women are super sensitive. Some are, you know, maybe strong and courageous in areas in battle, just like Yael. 
which of course my, my daughter is named after because we, at that time we were, you know, of course we do Sukkot and I just thought that's a great name to name my daughter, especially with all this camping and Sukkot we're doing. Because if any man tries to come into her tent, they will have a surprise. Yes, that's a good name for a daughter, Yael. My second point. Let's get there. Power tends to corrupt, and absolute power corrupts absolutely. Of course, the old adage, the old adage, nothing new there. But look at the fourth verse. We go on with Rav Shaliak Shaul, the Apostle Paul. He reasoned in the synagogue every Shabbat. So we've still got Shabbat-keeping piety. Look at the record of the book of Acts. There is no way that you could ever extrapolate from the text that Sabbath is annulled. Is there? There's no way. You'd have to learn that from men. You would never learn that from the scriptures. And he reasoned in the synagogue every Shabbat, and he persuaded the Jews and the Greeks. And when Silas and Timothy were come from Macedonia, Paul was pressed hard in the Ruach. Why? Because the Yahudim, the Jews, opposed and they blasphemed as he testified that Yahushua was the Messiah. And when they opposed themselves and blasphemed, he shook off his garment and he said to them, Your blood, it's upon your own heads. I'm clean, for now I will go to the nations. This is a lesson for all of us. We can minister but at some point, we have to move on. As always, of course, we see that the synagogue of Satan, it erupts. It becomes vicious. It becomes abusive. It's libelous, isn't it, in its attacks. Not only on Paul, but upon society and upon the faith as a whole. What book is it that you brought in today? Give me the title of that. Just a show, just a show. Kabbalah's secrets that Christians need to know. An in-depth study of the kosher pig and the gods of Jewish mysticism. Because this new age has crept into the faith. It's new age. And it comes from the synagogue of Satan. People are delving into new age mysticism that has crept in. And it's all from the same spirit right here. An eruption from the synagogue of Satan. They are causing more and more trouble. Just as Paul, Timothy, and Silas are traveling, they seem to be following after them. But you can see how power brings forth corruption. It's everywhere. I don't know about you, but I can see how power tends to corrupt and absolute power corrupts absolutely. And I see it all around, especially and specifically in the last year. In America, allegedly, we have three branches of government. And I wasn't even born in this country. And if you have executive and then you have legislative, and then you have judicial. Would it make any... Just think, people, just think. 
Would it make any possible sense? Could it even, even be possible that the executive branch, meaning a governor, could somehow jump into the legislative and make a law and then somehow jump from legislative into judicial and enforce it? That would be a despot. But you all seem to believe it. Executive, legislative, and judicial. Separate. Checks and balances. Meaning, an executive order hasn't passed through the legislature, so therefore it's not law, so therefore it can't be adjudicated. You people are insane. Because you got rid of civics at school. I didn't even grow up in this country. How? Why? Because today the youth is more ignorant than the youth in the times of the Romans and the Greeks. Do you realize what the Greek children and the Roman children of their day, how well educated they were and well read in high society? Read the ancient writings. And today our youth is illiterate. They just want to watch videos. They don't want to read for themselves. And it causes trouble. Because then, of course, we come into where absolute power corrupts absolutely. And nobody has a remedy because they haven't been taught. This is where the world is at. This is why everybody has acquiesced to stupid. The Jews, like today's politarchs, have reached absolute power. And absolute power will always corrupt absolutely. And when they get to that point, they lose contact with all reality, don't they? And you're like, but you're not even dealing with reality. Executive, legislative, and judicial. No. No. And then you start to ask questions. Oh, uh-huh. Ask more questions. Ah, uh, ah. Uh. Yeah, you got to think, people. Here's where we stand. I told you I'm going to have a hard time getting to number six. I'm in number two. Here's where we stand, though. We're in the same frame. We are in the same camera frame as Paul, as Silas, as Timothy. Oh, believe me, those who seek absolute power, even though they may have started out seeking it to do what they regarded to be good, and I'll give them the benefit of the doubt, I want to help people. We really care about your health. Your safety is so important to me. They started out seeking to do what they regarded as good, and now... They're simply demanding the right to enforce their own version of heaven on earth. This is Daniel's fourth kingdom that we have now found ourselves in, brethren. Right now, right today, right here. Let me remind you. They are the very ones who create the most hellish, hellish, 
tyrannies. Absolute power does corrupt. And those who seek it must be suspect and must be opposed. They must be. Therefore, absolute power tends to attract the corruptible, the unredeemed, the hellish ghouls of society. Thus, if absolute power corrupts, absolutely, absolute powerlessness makes us pure. Think about it. Think about it. If absolute power corrupts absolutely, absolute powerlessness makes us pure. That's different coming from me, isn't it? What are you saying, Matthew? We need to stand in powerlessness to be pure before Yahuwah so that we can have the remedy that he has provided for us. And the world will see us as powerless, but in that powerlessness is purity, redemption, and equity. This is the way of the master. Which brings me to my third point. Repentance brings forth remedy. This has been a hard one for me. I understood it spiritually because I did it when I was 24. But I haven't understood it in the natural realm. But now I find myself with the understanding. Through trials and tribulations, repentance brings forth remedy. Think about this. Because Yahushua came before Pilate, if he had come before Pilate in controversy, which is an argument, and he argued before Pilate, therefore he would have been in sin, a sinner, and therefore he would not have been able to access the remedy that Yahuwah had in store for him. And what was the remedy? That he was able to discharge death. And in him discharging death, we are able to access that remedy too. What did he do? He came before Pilate in total equity. He accepted everything that Pilate put upon him. And in so doing, he was given the access by the Father as the blameless without sin lamb to be able to what? Have the remedy 
to discharge death and rise from the dead. Because he was not involved in a controversy. When you and I argue, we involve ourselves in controversy, which is sin. But when we walk in shalom, we move into the Father's realm where he provides a remedy for us. This is a big lesson for all of us. And then we can truly be more like our master to walk in shalom. We don't have to fight anymore. I stopped fighting spiritually when I was 24. And I thought that that was it. But now I'm seeing that my natural life must align with it too. This is huge for me because I'm a fighter. But then I lose the ability to access the Father's remedies. The healing leaves to the nations. It's beautiful. There's much to learn. It's better to accept and humble ourselves, this I believe, because the greedy and the corrupt, they will naturally interpret it, of course they will, as powerlessness. But that's fine. They will, they don't understand. They thought Yahushua was powerless because they were greedy, because they were corrupt, because they were corrupt in spirit and soul. Yet we can be absolved and vindicated, free to live a pure life. That's all I want. I want to be free, just so that I can live before my Father and do His business. In the Hebrew Matthew, the Shem Tov, in Matthew 5.25, it is written, Accept quickly your accuser's presentments while you are going with him to chancery, lest your accuser hand you over to the law lord and the law lord to the warden, and you be put into prison. For truly I say to you, you will never get out until you have set off the charges and discharged the last demand. What were the charges? The charges is sin brings forth death. And because Yahushua didn't enter into a controversy with Satan the accuser of the brethren. And he didn't enter into that controversy. He was able to what? Discharge death and bring forth a remedy for all of us. And we're living in this contentious world that exists upon controversy. It's built upon controversy. But we don't have to be a part of that. Because the Father has given us the remedy. It's right here in the scripture. It's amazing. Amazing. Meaning absolute power can only be supported by error. Absolute power can only be supported by ignorance. Absolute power can only be supported by arguments and prejudice. And in my stupidity and my folly and my sin, I've actually supported what I hate. By fighting, instead of incepting. When you fight, 
you end up with the law lords. You end up in the wardens. You end up in that whole realm where there is no remedy. Repentance brings forth remedy, does it not? I understood that spiritually when I was 24. That when I repented of my sins, it brought forth a remedy from all of that sin in my past. But that is the beginning. That now I'm to align my whole life with that, not only spiritually, but naturally. Now, of course, my wife is extremely excited about this revelation. She's like, does that mean that we're not going to be arguing anymore? And I'm like, yes, it does. That is what the Father has shown me. Because if I enter into a contention with my wife, a controversy, then I'm in sin. Even if she's in error, which of course, honey, I know you're watching, you're not in error. I'm not saying that. Even if she was in error. I can accept that. And by me accepting that and returning to her that acceptance, there is no controversy. Therefore, I have access to the remedy of the Holy Spirit discharging the argument, discharging the controversy. It's only when we step into the controversy that we lose the remedy. And society exists, and it, the synagogue of Satan exists. It, it can only operate in controversy. It can only operate. Which is why we have all this bickering and squabbling and everybody pitted against one another. In society, it's a society right now that is all about controversy. Because then if everybody jumps into that controversy, then they've all lost the remedy. And the remedy is that Yahweh is bringing his kingdom as Satan is trying to set up the fourth kingdom here which is a kingdom of controversy. It is iron mixed with clay, and it will always crumble. Now, I've lost a lot of you right here. But I hope you get what I'm laying down. You see, when the Holy Spirit reveals something, I must communicate it, because I know that some, if there's one sheep out there that gets this, it's most probably going to be a woman. I'm just saying right now. Then our deliverance is nigh. At the very door. It's truly a remarkable thing. And it will be much to the consternation of our enemies. They'll be like, what just, what just happened? What, 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 what just happened? When I was a child... I spoke like a child. I argued. I fought. Then 
I put away childish things. I want equity. I don't want arguments. I want equity. I don't want arguments. I want the ability to have Yahushua standing right next to me in the midst of the fire. And I will come out unscathed. Because if I'm with Yahushua, there is no controversy. But the moment I step into controversy, he cannot come with me. And the Holy Spirit cannot be with me. Not in controversy. I must stay where the Holy Spirit dwells. Does that make sense? It makes sense to me right now. We don't need to defend ourselves when Yahweh is our shield, when Yahweh is our banner. We just need to step into his remedy. Which brings me to my fourth point, and I'll take a sip. I'm nervous to read the chat. My fourth point, Yahweh turned clay into men. Well, these wicked, bloody tyrants turn men into clay right in front of our eyes. Yahweh assembled your DNA from the clay. He turned clay and stacked it up through a DNA helix into man. And Satan seeks to take man and absolutely degrade and break down his DNA to turn him back into clay. Why all the blooming anarchy today? Have you seen what's going on up in Portland? Insanity. I'd like to go up there tomorrow and get some Indian food. But I don't particularly feel like getting carjacked. Just telling you. Just telling you. Why are the governors, why are the mayors turning a blind eye to anarchy in the streets of Portland? Well, anarchy, my friends, is the stepping stone to absolute power. Don't believe me? Review the French Revolution. Look, Daniel's fourth kingdom was the last kingdom. There is a mingling. There is a non-hadhesion going on. You ever heard of a non-hadhesion contract? There is a non-adhesion going on in the DNA and bodies of man all over this world right now. Right before your eyes. They can't see it. But it is a non-adhesion. A mingling. But it will not adhere together. There will be a breaking apart and a fracturing and when Yahweh turned clay into men, because man decided to go after Daniel's fourth kingdom, the kingdom of men, instead of pressing in through faith 
and anticipating that at that same time, Yahweh will be bringing forth his kingdom from heaven onto this earth, they made the wrong choice. And now there is a disassembling. There is a non-adhesion as that man will fracture back into clay. What was built up will now be disassembled right before your eyes. Right before your eyes. Daniel chapter 2, the 43rd verse. We have iron and clay. It is mingled with the DNA. Zerah in the Hebrew, the seed of man. It is a non-adhesion. It breaks apart and it's over all the earth. We're on YouTube as well as BitChute, so I'm not going to style it out anymore for you. I think you know what I'm talking about. In times past, numeral, numerous, numeral, Roman numerals, numerous generals and politicians seized absolute power and they muzzled the press. Right? How many times? Over millennia. Over millennia. Numerous generals, numerous leaders, they seized absolute power, and when they seized absolute power, they muzzled the press. But not now. Not now, no. We're in a whole different realm of evil and despotism where the press has seized absolute power and muzzled the politicians. That's more terrifying to me than anything. You have the press, big tech, that has seized absolute power and literally can shut down presidents. Yahweh turned clay into men, but despots right now are turning men into clay, and they are muzzling the masses. Literally, literally, and spiritually. Look at the seventh verse. Are we really only in the seventh verse? You, 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 I mean, gone are the days when you sat in the church pew and you read the book of Acts. I mean, and he departed there and entered into a certain man's house named Justice, one that worshipped Yahuwah, whose house was next to the synagogue, and Crispus, the rabbi of the synagogue, believed on Yahusha with all of his house. Wow, that was a bit of a change, wasn't it? And many of the Corinthians hearing believed and they were immersed. You see, it's not too late for those in power to repent and come to the knowledge of the living Yahuwah. Look at this leader right here. This is a leader in the synagogue system. It's not too late. Think about the consequences and ramifications of this. The Jews lost the president of their synagogue to the faith. That's a new kind of woke. Not the kind of woke that they're trying to pull on you. This is being awakened by the Holy Spirit. Now, that kind of woke, I'm all right with. 
but not this Luciferic counterfeit that they've got going on out there. Crispus, his entire household comes to faith. And it's so dramatic that you actually find it written of again in Scripture in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, in the 14th verse, it is written, I thank Yahweh that I mikvahed none of you, Paul says, because you're all bickering about, well, I was mikvahed by him. and I, I thank Yahweh that I didn't immerse any of you, except for Crispus and Gaius, lest any should say that I baptized in mine own name. You see, right here, the leader of the synagogue was mikvahed by Paul. That's pretty powerful. That's a pretty powerful testimony. But the prophetic window is closing, brethren. It's closing. And time is running towards the, the apocalyptic. Time is running towards the prophetic, where we find proportions that we have never seen before, exploding right before our eyes. Look at verse 6. He shook off his garment. You see, at that point when it's past the point where they cannot repent or they're unwilling to repent, these despots, these tyrants, these satanically influenced individuals, then, when, then, when, then, he shook off his garment and he said to them, your blood be upon your own heads. Oh, I'm clean. I'm standing with Yahushua. I've got the Holy Spirit in me. I've repented. If you choose not to follow the way of the Master and you choose not to accept my repentance and forgiveness, your blood be upon your own heads. For now, I'm going to go on to the nations. Paul, of course, is referring to the book of Nehemiah here. He's quoting from the fifth chapter of Nehemiah in the 13th verse where it says, I shook my lap and I said, So Elohim shake out every man from his house and from his labor that performeth not his promise. Even thus be he shaken out and emptied. See, shake the dust. And all the congregation said, Praise Yahuwah. And the people did according to this promise. I love the book of Nehemiah. Don't you? Man, that's a good book, isn't it? Look at the ninth verse. Then spoke the master Yahweh to Paul in a night. In a vision by the night. Be not afraid, but speak and do not keep silent, for I am with you. And no man shall attack you to hurt nations with you. For I have many people in this city. And he stayed there a year and six months, teaching the word of Yahuwah among them quite some time. You may face discouraging times. I may face discouraging times. But here's a man, Paul, Rav Shaliak Shaul, who faced discouraging, discouraging times. And what do you do when you face such times as this? There had been enough negative signs that Paul was beginning to become discouraged at this point. I mean, look at the text. Especially after what he'd gone through in Athens. Wouldn't you feel discouraged? <sighs> I would feel discouraged. But in 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and the third verse, he says, 
I came to you in weakness. I came to you in weakness with great fear and trembling. Yahweh sends his mercy. And then he gives Paul an encouraging vision. And when we come to Yahweh in, in, in weakness, then he brings us the vision of how to proceed and go forth. But sometimes we're just not willing to go to him in that weak position. But in that weakness, there is the strength. The world does not comprehend it. Do not be afraid. Keep speaking. Do not be silent, for I am with you. And no one's going to attack you. Nobody's going to harm you. This is the promise of Scripture. What a comfort in a world that seeks to destroy. But they have to find you first. And they can't find you when you're hidden in the equity of the master. You see, we face right now tremendous pressure to conform. Tremendous peer pressure to conform. Well, you're not going to be able to do this unless you have that. You're not going to be able to go there unless you do this. Allegedly. Allegedly. Because, of course, they want you to believe that there is no separation of powers. Okay, that's the premise, the false premise. You've got to believe and buy into the false premise, okay? And most of the silly people who didn't pay attention at school or don't like to read or just like to drink whatever is being served to them won't listen and see. And they'll acquiesce under this tremendous pressure to conform. But under this tremendous pressure, there's another way. And it is chazak amatz in the Hebrew. Chazak amatz. Be strong and be courageous. And do not look with your eyes, but look with the spirit within you. Chazak is an amazing breakdown in the Paleo-Hebrew. It's spelt with the Hebrew letter Chet, Zayin, Kuf. Chazak. Chazak. Means to be strong. To see strength for support. Like a pillar. Like a walking stick. But it also means, means that you are to harden yourself. It means to be hard-hearted. Yahweh was telling you to be hard-hearted. What are you saying, Matthew? Hard-hearted towards tyranny. Hard-hearted towards threat. Hard-hearted towards sin. That is what Yahweh... Because Yahweh told us back in the Torah, if you're a coward, or if you've just recently got married and you haven't uh, taken the pleasures of marriage, or if you've planted a vineyard and you haven't eaten of its cluster, or if you've built a house and you have not yet, then you stay home. Because we don't want you in the battle. Or if you're a coward. Because we need you to be hard-hearted 
towards sin. We need you to be hard-hearted towards despots and tyranny so that you can chazak, chazak, be strong and amatz, amatz, courageous. To harden yourself, to become stiff-hearted when sore. What does that mean? When the world is pressing on you, when society is pushing and pushing, it does begin to press upon you and you do feel it, do you not? Do you become sore? Oh man, I, I, I become sore. Then, when then, you are to become louder, you are to become stronger, you are then equipped by the Holy Spirit to repair the breaches of your weaknesses and mistakes. So your weaknesses and your mistakes, my weaknesses and my mistakes, when I chazak, I can lean and find the strength to go back and correct my wrongs. That's part of it. And then amatz, the Hebrew word amatz, to be courageous is spelled aleph mem sadi. Now, of course, the mem is like the fish swimming in the water, right? Water representing might or mental strength of courage and determination. So we're to be mentally strong. We're to be firm. Yes, we are to be obstinate. I've got that one really down. But only in the face of attack. Only in the face of attack. By withstanding, we'll be able to squeeze something out of its hidden place. To expose the wickedness. And we'll be able to deliver our enemies unto the judgment that they sought for us will come upon them. You know the old saying, pigs get fed, hogs get slaughtered. Well, wait and see. To be squeezed. Think about a piece of grain. Just as the grain is squeezed, the chaff is removed for burning. You can squeeze me. You can squeeze me. You can squeeze me. And you can keep on squeezing me. But my father is going to burn you. He's going to burn you. Chazat Amatz, be strong and courageous. The promises in Scripture are powerful. But you can't look with your eyes what is before your face. Because that's the earthquake, that's the wind, that's the fire. And it's all around and it's all pressing on your emotions. Which is the distraction. It's theater. Do I get caught up in it? Of course I do. I'm human. But then I retreat. And that's when I find the still small voice. Verse 12. And when Galileo was the proconsul of Achaia, the unbelieving Jews made insurrection with one accord against Paul and brought him to the judgment seat, the Mishpat Bema, saying, This fellow persuades men to worship Yahweh contrary to the law. 
And when Paul was now about to open his mouth, Galileo said to the Jews, if it were a matter of criminal wrong or wicked lewdness, oh, you Jews, there would be a reason that I should listen to you. But if it is a question of the words and names and of your law, then you go settle it. For I do not desire to be a judge of such matters. Again, we find the devils employ a legal attack, don't they? This isn't a physical riot. They brought Paul before the beamer, before a place of judgment. This was an actual judicial bench in the city forum where the council and cases were held. He's under legal duress. We often go back and we blame everything upon the Council of Nicaea, don't we? Oh, and that Council of Nicaea, that's when they brought in all of this crazy pagan stuff and syncretism. Well, that's true to a certain degree. And then we blame all the confusion. We blame all the syncretism, all the compromise on Christianity. And like we lay it, blame. I've done it. And we lay the blame square on the Council of Nicaea in 325 of the Common Era, and then we blame it all on the Catholics. And, eh, you know, there's a definite burden of responsibility there. But look, here we have an opportunity to examine it a little more thoroughly. The Jewish leaders here were trying to disconnect from the followers of Yahushua. They were trying to disconnect. Before the Council of Nicaea, the Jewish leaders, thus many, the majority of the Jewish people, were trying to disconnect from the newly minted followers of Yahushua. They were trying to get this recognized as a sect and condemned as an illicit religion. Now, weighing this makes more sense. You can't lay the whole blame on the Council of Nicaea. The Council of Nicaea just didn't happen. All of this led up to it. The Jews were trying to get the case heard as a serious fraud against the government. Right? Instead, Galileo decided it was nothing more questions about words and names and your own law. Namely, he decided that this was issues about Jewish laws and theological debates. And he said, there's nothing here. There's nothing here. He's saying, there's nothing here that infringes on Roman legal issues. So I'm out. But, but, and I think this is where I'll finish. I don't think I'll get to number five. But what if today we had politarchs that were successful, think about this, in adjudicating and claiming infringements from one segment of society against the government and their supporters on the other? What would happen then? What would happen if a politarch got into office, bear with me, 
What would happen if a polytarch got into office and was bent on destroying his predecessor and all of his predecessor's supporters? What would happen then? Could be dangerous, no? Welcome to your present reality. The book of Acts is alive and well to navigate through these times in which we live. There is so much to look at in this 18th chapter. I haven't even got to the fifth and sixth point. But what I have addressed today, hopefully, is the importance, the importance of casting aside misogyny. The power and relationships that we can have with women in ministry is truly a blessing. Be careful. This society has embraced corruption. And the corrupt will always become despots because they're attracted to it. But remember, repentance is our remedy. But for us to step into it, we have to move out of controversy and arguments. Be aware that S.A. Tan is trying to deconstruct your DNA. As Yahuwah built you from the clay into everything that you are as a living man and woman, the world and the tyranny and the despots seek to break down your DNA helix and turn you back into the dust and clay. You have to make your choices, and it's all right there before your eyes. This, of course, is Daniel's second chapter, his fourth kingdom that came forth that the world embraces. It is the feet and toes, part of potter's clay and part of iron, and they shall mingle themselves with the DNA, the seed of man. It's a bioweapon that divides the seed of man before the return of the Son of Man. And it has been launched worldwide. It's a bio-weapon. We live in very, very strange times. And I feel extremely blessed to be able to teach the Word in season and out. And I'm thankful for so many of you that are here today and will be here later if you're watching this after the live broadcast. Let me see what you've got to say in the chat. Absolutely nothing. I am sure and positive of that. If you'd like to say something, redline me in the chat and I will see what you have to say. I'm going to refresh my screen here. Remember, it is the 35th day of the Oma. Baruch Hashem Yahuwah. I see a lot of you here. Shabbat Shalom. Shabbat Shalom. Truth like Velcro says Matthew is on fire. Baruch Hashem Yahuwah. Blessings to you, truth like Velcro. Libby Chu, Baruch Hashem Yahuwah, Shabbat Shalom to you, Libby. What a blessing, what a blessing. 
Oh, my goodness. Shabbat Shalom, Daryl Palmer. Brother, thank you for your support and faithfulness all these years. Now, back in the day, when you see, when we had the wiggly camera, that was Brother Daryl that helped us get to where we are today, you see? Shabbat Shalom, brother. I'm so glad to see that you are tuned in. What a blessing. We used to have the camera and you had to climb up a ladder, didn't you, brother? That's what we do. We make the elderly climb up ladders and put them in dangerous, perilous positions to test their faith. It's your turn next. Much more beauty. Shabbat Shalom down there in Florida. Florida. Bonjour, Angela. Bonjour. Mm, all right. We have people from all over the world. I recognize names here. Ah, oh, Sweet and Salty. I like that. That's a nice name. Sweet and Salty. What do you think? <laughs> what do I think of the zombie apocalypse? Well, I've just told you what I think, don't I, really? I think it's the fourth kingdom. But there's another kingdom coming. Degradation of DNA. Much more truth. I'm very grateful for your teaching and them liberating me from the male chauvinist doctrines. Hallelujah. Praise Yahweh. Me too. Me too. Robert Gomez, Matthew, can you do the priestly prayer? Yes, I can. What a blessing. I'd love to do that. Let's do the priestly prayer right now. Ah, praise Yahweh. May Yahweh bless you all. Yevarechacha Yahweh veyishmerecha. Yeyer Yahweh panavalecha. Veyasim lecha lecha shalom. May Yahweh bless you and keep you. May Yahweh's face shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May Yahuwah lift up his countenance upon you and grant you shalom in the name of Yahushua, the Prince of Peace. And I know I missed one verse in the Hebrew there, so don't give me a hard time. I'm doing it on the fly, and I am out of practice. Praise Yahuwah. Of course, that comes from Numbers chapter 6, Yahuwah's blessings upon the priesthood out there, all of you scattered in the nations. Here's a great question. Clan Duncan, what scripture says controversy is sin? Think about it. Controversy, arguments, contentions. It puts you into arguments. Arguments, sin, the flesh. When Yahushua was before Pilate, there is no controversy because he accepted and therefore he was given remedy. So... Many, many scriptures that talk about contentions, arguments, right? And this, of course, is what the children of Israel were in controversy with Moses and in controversy with Yahweh for a whole generation in the wilderness. It was an experience of controversy, which is why they were never given the remedy, which was to cross over into the promised land. And when they kept fighting and kept fighting and kept fighting, they could never grasp what was offered to them 
And they could have had it within 14 days. Instead, it took them 40 years. Well, praise Yahuwah, it didn't take all of us 40 years. Hallelujah. Craft, cast, Nate. I was recently baptized in his name. I have never felt better. Baruch Hashem Yahweh to craft, cast, Nate and the Holy Spirit, the Ruach HaKodesh in you. Thomas Hughes, Shabbat Shalom, brother. Good to have you back this Shabbat, Matthew. Missed you, but I understand how life works. Thank you so much. And Sweet and Salty has given us a hundred and another hundred. What a blessing. Oh, yeah, I can't even wait either, truth like Velcro. She says, can't wait till he returns, of course, Yahusha, doing a study about him coming at Yom Kippur. Note, date set, not to date setting, I am, I am not doing. It can be any year, but I think it may be. I did a study to see if the word confirms it. I mean, we are living in these days. The anticipation of his coming is so just tangible, is it not? Oh, it just makes this world pass away more each and every day because I can taste and feel the kingdom coming. And this is exactly what Daniel said in that fourth kingdom as they denigrate the DNA at that time when they're all looking for that fourth kingdom, there's another kingdom coming. Let them have it. Oh, child of the Father is doing some nice emojis right there. Good job, good job. Ah, oh, Lolita Jones, thank you. This has truly helped me to take a look at myself more than of others and also makes me aware of my surroundings going forward. You know, that's what, I've, that's what I'm realizing. It's too easy for me to go, oh, that is their fault, oh, they're wicked, that's evil, they're against me. But then I'm involved in the controversy. But when I can look at myself and change me, then that's where I have the remedy. And I'm sticking with it. I'm using that a lot lately because it's new revelation to me. I thought Libby was going to send us some pizza, but she's not sending us pizza. She's talking about Marlene Piazza. When you put torches of the tribes, the letters are highlighted so Matthew will see your question. You see, there's a Priscilla right there helping the saints, a blessed, blessed Priscilla down there in Louisiana, Baruch Hashem Yahuwah. Oh, what we got here? Hey, Shabbat Shalom, Kevin Niebling. I think you did this, but how, how do you balance the controversy with earnestly contending for the faith once delivered to the saints? Well, that is, isn't it? Pressing into the Ruach. It is a balance. And that's again what I was saying with Chazak Amatz. There is a time and a place, 
but it cannot be misdirected because ultimately we're the ones, you, personally, me. I'm held accountable for the life I live no matter what comes against me. I still will be held accountable how I act. And I just have to accept whatever comes at me is part of my life story and not to fight it. Because if I accept it, the Yahweh is going to use it as part of his kingdom glory that I will then, if I am a good and faithful servant, be able to lay that experience down at his feet. It will be a, a jewel in the crown, all for his glory. Whatever it is you face, it's part of your life experience and it's an opportunity. It's an opportunity. This is a, a new way to think. Mm-hmm. I don't know where that came from. Maybe it was Kevin Niebling because I'm uh, just missing his, his singing voice. That's what it is, Kevin. That's why I'm going to blame it on you. Mm. What else do we have? Astrid, will women serve as priests in Yahusha's kingdom? Of course they will. Yes, very good question. Yahira Gonzalez. Matthew, when John 3.16 says, For Yahuwah so loved the world, does that mean Israel? Not literally the world, like a lot of modern Christians like to say that is everyone. Think about this. Here's the parable. For Yah so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. Why? I've done a teaching on this. It's a parable. The field is the world. He has to give the son the field. The son loves the field, not for the field, so that he can clear the field. And first of all, what will he do? He will clear away the brush, and he will put it in a burn pile, and it shall be scorched and torched. And then he'll be able to see clearly where the treasure is buried. Israel is my hidden treasure, buried in the field of the world. This is, of course, the last harvest, the separating from the wheat from the chaff. And this is where we're at. So, yes, you're totally right, Yahira. It's not that he literally loves the world. It's that he purchased the world so that he could get to Israel that's buried in the midst of it. And to do that, he's going to clear away the wicked so he can clearly see where his people are. Very cool. Ah, much more truth is right there. Introduction to the epistle of John is where Matthew taught this. Baruch Hashem Yahuwah.
Chris in FEMA Region 4 has got it. Yah had to buy the world to get the treasure out of it. Yes, of course, it's spoken of in, I think, the 30th chapter or maybe the 32nd chapter of Jeremiah. It is the redemption, the redemption of property. Redemption of property. Here we go, Alma Gordon. We have the remedy. If my people shall humble ourselves and pray and turn from our wicked ways, we are his people. We were not told to fight with the world. Baruch Hashem Alma. That is so true. Woo! What a blessing. What a blessing. You all are. You all are. Stay strong. Remember to count the Omer. Count the Omer. We are going from the barley harvest, that carnal nature of controversy, of wanting to fight, of trying to engage with the world. Instead, we're being transformed right now through the counting of the Omer from, of course, first fruits now all the way through to Shavuot. Let's get into that heavenly manner, the Holy Spirit, because when we're in the fire, when we're in the Ruach, when we're standing in the midst of the trials, we have a remedy when the Spirit of Yahweh is with us. There is the Master himself giving us, of course, access to all that his Father has in heaven. And it's available to us right now. It's not just spiritual, it's physical. It works in the natural realm as well. And I am so excited about what Yahweh is doing in so many of our lives. Stay the course. Thank you to all the women out there that are working for the kingdom of Yahweh, the Priscilla's and the deacons and deaconesses out there. What a blessing. The apostles, the anointing. Stay strong and let's work together for the kingdom of Yahuwah. For there is neither male or female, slave or free. We are a multi-ethnic people coming out of the nations together. We just need to stay on course. Greetings to the 12 tribes. All of you out there scattered abroad, get down in the chat, get down in the comments. And of course, visit us at TorahToTheTribes.com and please give us some thumbs up right now. It helps populate. Subscribe to the ministry and please consider donating and thank you those of you that have been faithful all these years in supporting this ministry. It truly, truly is a blessing. I look forward to seeing you next Shabbat. Stay strong, stay in prayer and remember that we are praying for you as I know so many are praying for me. Shabbat Shalom.